Okay, so I was thinking for two and a half, three weeks now, what should I share? Before Jonathan asked me to share, um, there's a lot of thoughts going on. It's like, well, it's getting close to Christmas time. What does everybody focus on? We always focus on Jesus' birth. It's his birthday. And, and then most churches, most people generally will leave it at that. Hey, Jesus' birthday, uh, what does that mean? What does that lead up to? It's very small parts. So I was thinking about that, and I was like, well, what about like a, a Christmas gospel? What if, it's, what if it's not just, we don't just speak about his birth, but we speak about his life, his death, and his resurrection Altogether, each one of those by themselves could be a sermon that could be, you know, days. Just just his birth can take multiple sermons. Just his life could be multiple sermons. So I was thinking to myself, well, how can I narrow all that down and and, and bring it into one message? And it's it's I can't. So I'm going to miss stuff. But I wanted to try. I wanted to walk that out. I feel like that's what the Lord was telling me to do. Walk out something uh, and share that. An entire Christmas message going from his birth uh, all the way to his resurrection. And then look about what that means. I feel like we got a lot of people here and I don't need this mic. All right, I'll use the mic. Okay, so there's a couple things that I wanted to talk about before I got into it. One of them was uh, I want to discuss the Trinity real quick. I mean, I, you know, like I was saying, there's a lot to that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because today, and just like since Jesus' time and even before, um, we have a lot of false gospels out there. We have a lot of false teachers out there propagating things, um, and people are buying into it. And uh, for us as believers to really know the gospel, for us to really know about Christ's birth and his life, death, and resurrection— we need to know a little bit about the Trinity, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, what the false teachers would, would teach, um, some specifics would be something called modalism. So they would say that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they would say he's one God, but they would say he's one person, and he takes off a face and puts on another face. So it's the Father, he takes that off, that character off, and he puts on Jesus. He takes that off, and he puts on the Holy Spirit, so he acts as a father in one sense, takes that off, comes back and acts as Jesus, takes that off, and then he's the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's, that's being taught, modalism. Reject that. Um, there's also pastors out there that call God sick for crucifying his son. And that's important to the gospel because in Isaiah 53.10, it says the Lord was pleased to bruise him. So reject that. Uh, others make statements and illustrations of the Father being crucified along with the Son. So you'll have a pastor or pastors, they'll teach that, that the Father will have all the same scars and everything because he went through the same things that Christ did. Christ was the one crucified. The Father was not crucified. So when we go back to the Trinity, we look that there is one God. There's always been one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Very shortly, the Father sent the Son to come down. The Son did the will of the Father, and the Spirit of God testifies of Christ. So they all have something distinct right there in, in their person, but the one God, okay? All share the same essence, same nature, but three distinct persons. Does that make, I mean, maybe not make a whole lot of sense 
right off the bat. We can go deep into that. But that's something we got to lay out right off the bat. So accuracy is important when we get into that. We, and we're going to see as we go through this, we're going to see the different uh, aspects of each of those. We're going to see what the Father's telling the Son to do and what Jesus is going to do and what the Holy Spirit's doing. And then you see that they're all working together in this because it's, it's one God. They all work together in perfect harmony. So in Jesus' birth, we see in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 7, which was written around 700 years before Christ was even born, it makes statements about um, Christ and his coming. So we're going to go to Matthew 1. If you guys want to open up to uh, Matthew 1, and we're going to start in verse 18. And we're going to read some through this, uh, 18 through 23, and we're going we're gonna to see some, some things play out here. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, there we have the Holy Spirit and we have Jesus. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear. There you go, Dick. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So we're going into this Christmas gospel, and so centered in this is our separation from God, our sinful natures, and God's holiness. And he's going to save us from that that separation. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you guys would turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to go through 26 and 35. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, so we have the Father, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. There we again, we have a distinction. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So here we have Jesus being born. The word, John says, was from the beginning, was with God and was God. Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the word of God as a baby. How many people throughout your life have stopped to think about what that, what that means, what that looks like? The, the word, Luke has, the, the word who created everything and for whom and by whom everything exists 
is now an infant. He has to be bathed. He has to be swaddled. He has to be cleaned. He has to learn how to talk. The word has to learn how to talk. Has to learn how to walk. And has to be taught Torah. Has to be taught the, the teachings of God. So Jesus, the son of God, descends from heaven into a woman by the, conceived by the Holy Spirit to put on flesh like us. And it does something that's never happened in history. And now him, Jesus has to learn all these things. The creator was now being nurtured by man and woman. He, is, he came as the lamb of God to take away our sins and the son of God to show us the way. In Jesus' life, he came to do what we could not do. One of the things, to destroy the works of the devil that was from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. So we know the story. Jesus, or I'm sorry, the, the devil comes to uh, convince and deceive Eve. And she takes from the apple. She eats of it. She gives it to Adam. And so then we have the fall of man. Jesus is coming to stop all that. To bring everything back into right place. To right standing before God and make us righteous before God. And how do you do that? He lived the righteous life. Romans 10 says, for Christ is the goal of the Torah or the teaching as a means to righteousness for everyone who believes. I'm going to say that again. For Christ is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who believes. Righteousness means right standing with God. We do not have that in ourselves. We cannot do that for ourselves because of our fallen nature and our separation from God. Jesus came down sinless and perfect and living that perfect life. We have righteousness through him. He perfectly served God by his obedience and faithfulness. Obedience unto death, even on a cross. And he is made perfect through his suffering. And he was faithful to him who appointed him. If you guys would turn with me to Hebrews 5. One through nine. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. In relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So, also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So Jesus, in his life, has come to destroy the works of the devil. He lived that righteous life that we couldn't do. And he's saving us from our sins. He perfectly served God here on earth by his faithfulness and obedience to the Father. And so we have, from the very beginning here, we have Jesus coming down as a word, living that as a baby, going through everything that we had to go through when we were children. 
something that God has never done before, putting on flesh and becoming like us in every respect, yet without sin, living that life all the way up to his public ministry and through his ministry, doing all these things and completely being obedient to the Father and hearing, being completely filled with the Holy Spirit, hearing the Holy Spirit and walking all those things out. There's no way we could do that. Jesus can. And he did. In his death, he died as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. Let's turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with a perishable thing such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God, we know as Christians, God is doing something. He, he predestined us from the foundation of the world to bring his son, because he wanted to bring, bring his son and give his son a people. And he wanted his son to be glorified. So from the very beginning, all the way up to where, from his birth and his life and his death, he's doing something that he's foretold about in, in the Old Testament. He's working this out because there's issues going on. And that, that issue is our separation from God. We hear about in Christmas, Jesus' birth, you know, what that does, kind of, you know, most generally in the United States, it's about presents, Jesus' birth, happy birthday, let's move on. But for the sake of what we're doing tonight, we want to see as much as the full aspect of it as we can. In his death, he freed us from the bondage of sin. Sin literally means missing the mark. God's holiness, and he's completely, utterly separate and set apart. He frees us from that bondage of sin and the slavery to that. So where our habitual... Um, obligation is to our, our master, sin. We're going to constantly do things that's going to steer us away from God, that's going to move us farther away from him. And Jesus came and freed us from that by his death, covering us in his blood through faith. John 8, if you'll turn with me to John 8. 8.34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he frees us from sin. How, how does that, all that play out? When we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us, and we're, we, we confess and we repent, we turn away from all those sins, and we put our faith in who Jesus is and his life. And we believe on what he did on his death, paid for our sin, something that we couldn't pay for, but he can, and he did. He also freed us from the fear of death. If you go back to Hebrews 2, and that's important. Hebrews 2.14 since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So because we have forgiveness of sins and we're reconciled with God and we have a right relationship with him, righteousness, 
we can also be free from the fear of death, which means that we can live that right life. We don't have to fear doing what God has called us to do because we, we're afraid of, of dying. He pushes us now so that we can live a life completely separate from the world. We're not afraid to die. That has nothing on us anymore because after death, we get to be with the Lord. And we have, so that freedom should open up something in us saying that not only are we going to stand before God and be declared righteous, we can, we know now knowing that and being freed from the, the bondage of death and the fear of it, we can live right now on this life, no matter what happens, who knows what's going to happen in the next four years, who knows what's going to happen in the next 10 years, but we don't have to fear it. Because we know this is not our home, as Dick said. We are sojourners. We don't fear death. That's, good. That's entry into, the, into heaven, into the presence of God. So we move on. We can live a life devoted to him without holding back. And then we can go into the resurrection. And what does the resurrection do? It reveals the power of God. How does it do that? Because only God can take something that was dead and bring it to life. It proves who he is. Jesus said, I have the authority to lay down and I have the authority to take it up again. John 10, 18. He talked about his own life. Jesus is proven who he is and his deity through this. It gives us hope and is the access of our faith. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Starting in verse 12. And this is important. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, because there's people out there that don't, that don't believe in the resurrection. And I mean, there was people in Jesus' time, obviously, they're writing about it. There, is even, there are even people um, that are walking the earth today, even pastors that deny the resurrection. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching and my preaching, and anytime you guys speak to anybody, it's in vain. And your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ, or if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are people most to be pitied. But the resurrection is real, and we know that. We know it also because. It was a real witness event. Over 500 people saw it. It was attested by his disciples who were willing to die for what they had seen, what they had experienced because of their time with Jesus. And what they, they knew it. They were willing, nobody's gonna be willing to die, especially multiple people willing to die for a lie. Historically, the most reliable event in the ancient world, with written records closer to the event than anything recorded in ancient history. So for Christmas, and, and 
we could sum all this, this up. We, you know, when we say we could just focus and have this long thing on just about his birth and then maybe another weekend about his life, you know, and then take his death. I mean, and those are good. We need that. But for majority of Americans, we're just going to focus on his birth. Jesus is a baby. You've seen uh, movies possibly where they, you know, they pray to baby Jesus and, you know, they make a mockery of it and all these different things. But bringing it all together, without his birth, there is no cross. Without the cross, there is no resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no faith. We sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. We are sinners in need of a savior. Jesus' birth initiates the New Testament story of an Old Testament revelation of God's glory, our failure, and God's plan to glorify, number one, his son and himself, and to save a people for himself. I'm going to say that again. Jesus' birth, Christmas, initiates the New Testament story of an Old Testament revelation of God's glory, our failure, and God's plan to glorify his son and save a people for himself. And so thinking about all those things and spending two weeks trying to figure out what scriptures to put in, how and what to speak, it's like just keep it simple and, and, just, and just look at, I mean, the simplicity of the gospel is all those things. We need all those things, not just focus on one aspect of it. And we also have, have to know that with all the false teachings and the false gospels out there, we have to have it right. We have to handle the word uh, correctly. And we have to know um, that the Father is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. Three separate individuals, one God. Because we could steer off on a little, a, a little area and like a, a lot of these other churches have done and come up with weird and crazy doctrines. And then when you get into those weird and crazy doctrines, you get a false Jesus that can't save you. And a lot of people are in that place. So I, my prayer is for all of us to know that the, the right thing and for people maybe to watch it and, and spark something in them to say whether they're in the wrong place, maybe they have something off, if, even if I had something off to be corrected myself, that we would see God who, who he really is in his majesty, his holiness, how he, in his holiness he is separated. He's called us to be holy, which means separate from the world. And that we could see through the gospel in, on this Christmas, we could see that Jesus' birth his life and his death and his resurrection are all summed up, but it starts with his, it starts with his birth because that what initiates the New Testament story of an Old Testament revelation. And that's all I got tonight, guys. So hopefully that wasn't too short, but I'm going to pray. And if anybody has anything, we can go. And Shem, if I messed up, you can correct me. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are, for your goodness, and that you subjected all things to your son. And though we don't see all things in subjection right now, all things will be. And he will return them to you, God, and you will be all in all. And we pray, God, for, especially in this day and age, with all the stuff that's going on, all the turmoil, uh, as Dick said, we don't focus on any of those things. We look to you. We remind ourselves every day of your gospel, and we know where we are headed. And we know where other people who don't know you are headed. So help us to share with them the love that you have for all mankind. 
for people to know that there is a God willing to die for them, to send his one and only son, to shed his blood for them, for all of us, so that we can have a right relationship with you, God. We thank you for all your goodness and help us to settle and reconcile anything that is, is being uh, left out and being, um, is, is that we haven't come to you and laid before you, God. And in this time and this season, Lord, help us to think of others above ourselves and most importantly, to never forget about who you are and what you have done. We want to earnestly follow you and we want to share uh, about your goodness to everyone, Lord, because you have bought yourself a people and you deserve the glory. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.